You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley and with me is Gavin Phillips. How are you doing, Gavin? I'm doing very, very well, Christian. Uh, how about yourself, mate? Not bad, thank you for asking. It's uh, It's got a little bit cold here. I came out to my office this morning, switched on my radiator, and nothing happened. Oh, my God. And it's not the time you want it to stop happening already. <laughs> it's not, given that I only intend to keep it on for a few hours while it's particularly cold, and then so I hope that the wood warms up or something for the rest of the day. Uh, the fact that it didn't come on for the first two hours was really, <laughs> really... Uh, it was like time to put on an extra vest. But it turned out, uh, silly old me, I've got this magnet from an old um, crowdfunded LED light thing that uh, died. I kept the magnets. It's kind of decent. See if you can hear this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's a nice, decent magnet. Now, what happened is I actually had it stuck on the radiator just below the switch. Oh, I see. That was stopping it from turning on properly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yes way. But, uh, you know, I worked it out, so uh, I have heat, and um, it, will be a, it will be joining me for the rest of this podcast, <laughs> and then it's going off. Uh, so we are here to discuss the latest tech news that matters. Uh, this is new features for the gadgets that you use, uh, security news that you need to know about, and then we'll have some tips and tricks for you, and then we'll finish, hopefully, with some recommendations, things that we've seen or enjoyed recently that you may like we're going to kick off with the news that hackers have taken over Microsoft Exchange servers with OAuth. Is that how you say it? OAuth. Apps. I've always thought it was OAuth, or else you'd be trying to combine it into some sort of very verby, um, verby, vowely type word, wouldn't you? Yes. OAuth. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so. Um, Malicious attackers are using OAuth apps to gain control of Microsoft Exchange servers and spread spam. To be honest, it's not a complete surprise that this has happened. On September the 23rd, it was stated in a Microsoft security blog post that the attacker threat actor launched credential stuffing attacks against high-risk accounts that didn't have multi-factor authentication enabled and leverage the unsecured administrator accounts to gain initial access. That is a very uh, buzzwordy collection of words from the Microsoft Security blog post. So basically what it means is that uh, accounts that didn't have multi-factor authentication, SMS sending you a confirmation code or some kind of biometric element to it as well were, were targeted and using the credential stuffing, they've got into these unsecured administrator accounts to um, subvert and uh, spam people on those networks, which is, uh, I'm going to be honest, this is, it feels like one of those things that should be really obvious that this is going to happen. Well, I was just going to say, I think in this day and age, any sort of high-level account, um, and actually even any account really not having some form of multi-factor yeah. authentication switched on it's just a bit beyond the pale isn't it absolutely Christ, agree 2022 attacks like this happen 
all the time. Uh, it's not just with Erwolf. All sorts of protocols are attacked because they know there'll be vulnerabilities in them. Uh, and one of the easiest ways you can protect yourself, it's not guaranteed to work 100% of the time, obviously, but you are at least giving yourself that extra layer of protection that you might receive a notification saying, oh, someone on the other side of the world is trying to access your account. And you can say, well, that's obviously not me. Reject, you know, so... Yeah. Why isn't it switched on to begin with? I don't know. Yeah, it's the the other thing as well is that this is the sort. It's Microsoft Exchange. Organizations and educational facilities and other public bodies and big companies are paying a lot of money to use Microsoft Exchange. This is going to hit work accounts. It's going to hit um, uh, if you're a student, hit your university emails, and that. I mean, it's happened. And, you know, the, it's getting patched and uh, mitigated against. And, you know, you'll, there will be people in your, where you work, IT departments, whether they're on-site or they're off-site or they're, you know, they're completely, you know, contracted, kicking servers over this because it is mind-blowingly inept from Microsoft <laughs> that this yeah. has been allowed to happen, frankly. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and it's um, like you said. Actually, it's all the uh, it's the knock on effect of the the downtime, isn't it? Like like you said, doctors, nurses, teachers that suddenly can't access their accounts or yeah. whatever, having to go back to using. Oh my gosh, back to the dark ages of pen and paper. But um, <laughs> but it's the knock on effect then of that though. Like you remember. Um, during the summer, I think there was a major ransomware attack. Um, well, I mean, there are always big ransomware attacks going on, aren't there? But on, on a few medical facilities, and yep. the longer it went yeah, yeah. on, the more and more paperwork, like actual paperwork, uh, doctors, nurses, uh, receptionists were having to do, to the point where they were saying, this backlog is going to cost us maybe three to six months in in manpower working to process all of this for the sake of... I don't know, two weeks or whatever it was, not being able to access their computers properly. So the knock-on effect is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's a, it, 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 it angers me, it really does. I know that, I say I know, that the, the last, I, reasonably recently, I, work, I worked in the NHS in the UK from 2003 till well, the very beginning of 2003 till the very end of 2007, so essentially five years. And... Since that time, on several occasions, I have seen, so I'm pretty sure they still do it, the internal mail vans. So mm. I'm pretty sure there is still a means in in that, you know, f from that point of view at least, of uh, moving paperwork around. But, you know, it's it's going to be a less likely thing these days because everyone relies on digital. Um, oh, apart from Putin, obviously, who still uses a fax machine. <laughs> and football clubs. So there you go. <laughs> yes. One and the same. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, deadline day. Faxes. <laughs> okay. Staying with Microsoft, they are enhancing the Windows 11 Photos app with OneDrive integration. It's another one of those features that you think you should have had already. Microsoft has announced that it's beginning to roll out a brand new Photos app for Windows 11, which isn't quite ready for release 
Although I've read elsewhere that actually there's a load of things that are not yet ready for release that you can actually enable manually, but that's another thing entirely. The list of changes include organising photos with productive and beautifully redesigned purpose-built, and he said porpoise-built then, purpose-built experience. <laughs> Those porpoises at uh, Redmond, they, they really drive them, don't they? Um, easily back up your photos to OneDrive and keep your memory safe. Celebrate a well-lived, a life well-lived, big fun with improved memories, experiences. Be productive with multi-window and multi-screen. Easily view your OneDrive storage quota usage and add more storage and import and manage your photos from external sources such as your phone and camera. It's pretty much what Google have been doing with Google Photos for about five years, isn't it, really? Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. I've looked at some of the uh, pictures that have come out from people using the... Because it's available now in the Windows 11 Insider Preview yeah. developers channel. So those listeners that are on that, you can go and use it now, which means it will be on regular Windows 11 probably within the next month or two, basically. But yeah, the images that have come from it, it looks really similar to how Google Photos highlights recent things you've done or groups together specific types of images. So if you've been to a load of different beaches, it will throw all those together, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the app itself looks pretty nice, actually. It's definitely way better than it looks in Windows 10. Uh, it's the whole Windows 11 aesthetic with its, you know, the round corners and uh, a more sort of unified style, I think. Uh, I, I think it looks good. And when it arrives, people will be happy with it. Yes, hopefully. Anyway, we'll move on now. Um, busted! UK police arrest 17-year-old hacker in connection with the Grand Theft Auto 6 leaks, reports PC Gamer. We talked about this last week, uh, Ben and myself, and we um, we felt it was probably the biggest leak since Half-Life 2. Um, however, I, uh, I, you know, it, it, I, I'm not advocating breaking the law, but I'm so impressed with this 17-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so apparently the the person in question um allegedly breached several other major companies as well before wow. turning their eyes to rockstar i don't know if you've seen this but uh, allegedly we'll go strong with allegedly here that uh it was uh he's also breached nvidia microsoft and samsung as part of uh, a wider hacking group so They've definitely been on the on the rampage. Uh, the the person was also apparently linked to the Uber yeah. hack as well. Yep. Did I read that? You did. They've definitely been putting themselves about with some of the biggest uh, tech tech companies around. The overall effect on Grand Theft Auto Six's development, I think, is sort of still up in the air, though, isn't it? People, yeah. Uh, people that I know that are game developers have said. It's sort of here nor there. Like they will have to make changes, obviously, but it's not nearly as bad as some people have indicated, saying, "Oh, they're going to have to rewrite the entire source code for the entire game." They said that's just it just wouldn't happen at this stage no. of things. It's an absurd thing to even suggest that, but they may well make some tweaks to it so that hackers are going to take a bit longer to break into parts of the game because obviously hacking was. And remains one of the biggest issues of uh, Grand Theft Auto Online, which stemmed from Grand Theft Auto Five. I mean, it's just it's a terrible, terrible experience. I don't know if you've ever played it, but it's just it's no. awful. Yeah, no, I, I, well, some people really enjoy it, obviously, and there are some good, good parts to it. But the amount of people that are obviously cheating and hacking is just makes it just a terrible experience. I think that doesn't sound good, does it? I um, 
I mean, I, sh- I should qualify what I was saying earlier. I am impressed that a 17-year-old has been able to do this. Uh, he obviously needs to um, account for his actions. But given his age, and he clearly has some sort of uh, expertise in this, I do hope that uh, someone is able to uh, aid his rehabilitation with some sort of decent uh, programming gig. He could be one of those ones that gets swept up now into the world of um, government hacking and will be... Yes forever in their debt. There are so many ways that you can get a job in tech. You don't have to start off by hacking massive games. Uh, producers and uh, leaking their wares <laughs> online. No, there are other things that you can do. Um, even if you're not particularly techie, uh, I've compiled a list of the uh, IT and tech jobs that don't require any coding or programming knowledge. And uh, I'm going to go through each of these very briefly, and then we'll have a little chat, myself and Gavin, at the end of this. So number one, you could be a designer, because coding can be an artistic trade in many ways, and graphic design is all about the look of a product or service. You could be a UX or UI specialist. That is the um, user experience and user interface development. How something looks, how people use it. That uh, there's a, there's an individual design element to that, and we're talking everything from uh, psychology and human computer interaction, getting feedback, how things change when they're clicked, all of that sort of thing. Pathways through websites and apps, everything. You could be a business analyst. It might seem that software development is simple, but it all needs carefully managed with business analysis, which bridges the gap between customer needs and the work of the developer. You can also be a project or program manager, uh, organizing everyone, rarely touching the source code, but instead ensuring that the priorities of the development are met. Technical writing that's a job. I really wanted to do this at one point, and then I uh, spoke to some people about it. Apparently, it is incredibly dull, uh, but not as dull as testing. If your talents lie in crafting concise, useful prose, technical writing is one of the most abundantly available jobs in tech. Uh, you could be a system administrator. It's an IT job that doesn't require coding, uh, but it manages everything from a very upper level, um, uh, whether... We're talking actual programming or a- any organization needs a system admin, basically. It requires a lot of clicking. You can do a little bit of uh, te- uh, programming, coding entry into things like um, Windows. It's called Windows Terminal now, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Combined, combined, the combined thing. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you can just stick to clicking boxes and uh, telling people to uh, back up the data and change the password every month. It's up to you. Uh, marketing and sales. Every tech company needs to make money, and a marketing and sales job at a tech company, if you don't have programming skills, is a good way in. You could be a tech journalist or a tech blogger. which sounds like an absolutely awful job, and I'm gonna, not going to talk about that anymore. And <laughs> software and game testing, as mentioned earlier, it can be dull because there's a lot of repetition to it. You're checking movements and motions, whether it's clicks in apps and checking menus work and uh, run software correctly, or just doing that whole sort of going through a motion in a video game, ensuring things work correctly. There isn't any tearing. There isn't any walking through the scenery, uh, any of that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, there's plenty of tech jobs you can do without coding, isn't there, Gavin? 
There's loads, actually. Yeah, uh, I've got another one on your list, actually. Christian. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's various roles within cyber security that you don't. Of need course. For. That's one of the big sort of misconceptions, and why a lot of people don't think about security, you know, as a role because the you know everybody thinks, oh, you've got to be able to code and you've got to be able to hack, you know. Um, but there's loads of different roles within cybersecurity that don't require any coding skills or programming skills whatsoever. You could be, you could do network security, be an analyst, you could be, uh, I can't remember the name of the specific role, but where you implement policies throughout your entire company, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so there are so many different routes into the world of tech without having to code. I myself, I'm, I'm not very good at it at all. You know, I can do a bit of HTML and a bit of CSS and yeah. Maybe in a Linux terminal, I know a few commands. I know you're way more versed with uh, with Linux than I, but it's never, ever held me back. And I've been working in tech now for around 10 years or so. So, Yeah, same here. I mean, my f first step, and this is another one, really, which isn't included, so we could knock it up to 11, really, with uh, not much effort, is just data entry. Oh, I, yeah, I started with data entry uh, around, what year is it now? 20, 20 years ago. In fact, tw probably 20 years ago this month, I was given a job at the company formerly known as British Steel, formerly known as Chorus, formerly known as, I think it was SSI at that point. <laughs> um, there's Its headquarters is over the road from my house, and uh, my mum worked there, and she got me a job there because I'd um, given up with uh, trying to be, Professional professional barman seemed like a good idea <laughs> at the time, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I got a job. Then my first tech job was uh, text entry. Now six months later, I was um, I, that's when I got my first uh, job in the NHS, which was a similar sort of thing. And then eighteen months later, I was working in tech support. There you go. So yeah, it's a clear sort of pathway, isn't it? And I was going to say actually. Um, What's interesting about quite a lot of these roles that are listed is that you you need no coding or programming skills at all to do them, you know, to get into them. But you may find actually that once you do get into them, that you start learning stuff just because you're in that environment, because yeah. you will you maybe be exposed to things, not that you need to know it, but you'll no, end up no. sort of being able to to look at bits of code uh, or, or whatever and be like, oh, this does that, and oh, I know what that function does. Um, and that will help you on your way as well. Yes, absolutely. There's a thing called Ethereum. It's a it's cryptocurrency. And recently there's been a thing, and it's been appearing in uh, newspapers and uh, websites all over the place, something called the Ethereum Merge. What is it, Gavin? What is, what's, what's merging here? Um, okay, so the Ethereum network for a long time was running uh, on the well-known uh, energy guzzling um, consensus algorithm called proof of work. And uh, in cryptocurrency, proof of work requires is sorry is the thing that requires um, computers to use so much energy because they're nice. trying to match a unique hash, an alphanumeric string, letters and numbers, and all the computers connected to the network want to find the next hash, because if they find it first, they receive uh, the block reward, uh, which is, you know, uh, they get 
basically an amount of cryptocurrency for for claiming the next block and they mm. also receive uh, all the transaction fees contained within the block uh, once the block is successfully found they've matched the correct hash that's when it's added to a blockchain that's a very sort of basic overview of how a blockchain works proof of work uses so much energy because the computers have to process so much data so fast um, and there's so many competing computers the ethereum network decided several years ago that they didn't want to be part of this proof of work algorithm anymore. They wanted to switch to something called proof of stake. And now proof of stake works differently to proof of work, where instead of lots of computers all competing all the time to try and find the next hash, the network chooses a random computer that has said, I want to be part of the network. And it does so by the user putting some of their cryptocurrency in a cryptocurrency wallet and just telling the network, hello, I want to be part of the network. Uh, I've given some currency towards it. This is what I've called. This is the stake. That's what it's called. Uh, and the network says, yes, we see you. You are now part of it. Uh, and again, this is a very, very simplified way of looking at it. But uh, it is effective how it works. And then when a new block, so if you remember, the block is the thing that contains the, the transactions made on the network. So instead of the computers competing for it, it's randomly allocated to any computer on the network that has staked the, the correct amount of, of money. So this is where the name, the merge, comes from. The Ethereum merge was the merging of the original proof of stake blockchain with the new proof of stake blockchain which had been running concurrently alongside it for a couple of years waiting for this update to complete the process and then on the 15th of September um, the merge finally completed uh, and it was successful as people hoped it would be uh, and it switched the Ethereum blockchain permanently from proof of work to proof of stake. Uh, so the immediate result of that was a, an around a 99% reduction in the amount of power that Ethereum was using. So prior to the merge, they were using a um, hundred and something terawatts of Ooh. power per year, more than the countries of uh, Argentina, more than the Netherlands. Uh, and obviously dropping that by 99% is uh, an incredibly useful thing for world power consumption. Uh, but I would add that not everybody's happy about this because many people view proof of work as the most secure form of blockchain um, in that it's very, very difficult for uh, a single person or a group of people to take control of it by controlling more than 51% of all of the cryptocurrency on that on that blockchain. But I think that's probably a, a discussion for another podcast. Sure, fact. sure. <laughs> so this is now, this has happened, has it? Yeah, so this has happened. So the countdown actually started a little while back. Um, the, the new proof of, uh, proof of stake blockchain, which is called the Beacon Chain, like I said, has been up and running for a while. But they set uh, what's called a total terminal 
difficulty for the change to actually happen. And the total terminal difficulty is when the difficulty of mining all of the blocks that have ever existed on the proof of work blockchains reached a certain value. And once that number was hit, I can't, I don't even know how to say the number. In fact, it's so okay. five, eight, seven, five, zero, followed by one, two, three, four, five, six sets of zeros. So if any listener could tell us how you actually say that number, that would be fabulous, but I don't know how to say it. <laughs> wow. So essentially it is, it's efficiency, isn't it? It's making it more, efi- making Ethereum more efficient in terms of power use. Uh, yeah, that's the absolute biggest part of it. Yeah, it really is. Cryptocurrency is quite like, rightly received flack for using a phenomenal amount of power and between bitcoin which still uses proof of work and won't ever change and uh, ethereum which now has they were using around 250 terawatts uh per year to power their networks now that one of them's dropped off it's obviously uh, you know way way better but some of the other things that many people thought the change would do for ethereum aren't going to come to fruition at least not straight away so a lot of people thought that the change would implement cheaper ethereum gas fees so a gas fee is like a small amount of money you have to give when you make a a transaction on the network Uh, and people really hoped that this switch would eradicate or drop the gas fees and and that's not going to happen unfortunately Uh, and the same thing for speeding up transactions so um on a on a cryptocurrency blockchain um on many blockchains sorry uh, transactions aren't instantaneous they can take up to 10 minutes to complete uh, and people hoped that that would reduce with ethereum but that again that's not going to be the case so like you said christian it really is all about massively reducing the amount of power that this blockchain is using Well, that brings us towards the end of our show, which is always a good time for us to uh, recommend something to you. Gavin and I have both got excellent recommendations in store, I'm sure. Well, mine's a bit average. Um, It depends on what you want to do with it. Um, (laughs) Shall I go first? Yeah, you can go first. I think I've gone first last few times. Yeah, uh... you have. So I'll go first this time. So uh, I'm going to try and make this as unboring as possible. Okay. (laughs) Recently, I decided that I wanted extra storage on my computer. And I may have mentioned this in a previous podcast, um, but it has limited space. Now, this is a computer. This is an old computer. It's a, what is that? It's a workhorse. It's an Intel Core i7. It has an NVIDIA GeForce uh, discrete graphics card. It's, uh, it was released in 20. I think 2017, might have been 2015, can't quite remember. It also has an optical drive. Now, I have previously removed the optical drive and replaced it with a hard drive or an SSD, but I found that when doing that, it still had, you know that little pause that CD-ROM drives have Mm. between you clicking something and them coming in, activating? I found that it had the same problem with that. There's some sort of uh, setting, which I... suspect maybe hardware rather than uh, accessible in the operating system or the BIOS. So I've kind of eschewed that option and opted to clone the disk that was 
in the computer. So, I because I'm using Linux, I use a tool called DD, but that doesn't copy the bootloader. And I was I was a little bit uncertain whether it would work or not. It didn't work. So when I swapped over after cloning, uh, using a uh, USB SSD drive uh, thing to connect to it, and then a clone to that from the system drive, I found that it wouldn't be because it didn't copy the Grub bootloader. The same would happen with Windows with the uh, Windows bootloader. So I used Clonezilla. Clonezilla is absolutely amazing. Not just in the fact that it'll run off a USB stick or an SD card or a different USB drive and then manage the cloning of one drive to another. Not only just that it will also copy the uh, the bootloader section of the drive to the new drive as well, but just that it's so small and it's so effortless to use. So if you are in a situation, and I'm going to be writing this up as well, so there, there, might, there may be a show note for this recommendation, which is a bit unusual, but there you go. If you do need to clone a system drive, a drive that's an important drive that you need to use almost right away, whether or not it's failing, or if you do need to uh, move to larger storage and you're limited with your internal storage options, I would recommend Clonezilla. Nice. I've used it in the past, actually, for um, fixing a broken USB drive, I think. All right. Wouldn't, uh, I think maybe it was the disk write protection error. Uh, that can sometimes happen on USB drives where no yep. matter what you do, it says disk. It, yeah, the disk is right protected. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm fairly certain I used Clonezilla to eventually just take an entire clone of it, copy it back onto my desktop uh, and take the data that I needed. And then it let me fix the USB drive after I've actually removed the data. So there's maybe something corrupt in there. But yeah, it's a fantastic bit of kit there, Clonezilla yeah. is. It really is. Definitely, definitely. So what's your recommendation, Gavin? Uh, I've, got, I've got like a sort of mixed recommendation. Um, okay. I've got, I've got some headphones I'd like to tell you about first. Um, these are the One More Sonoflow Wireless Active Noise Cancelling Headphones. Uh, and they are from the company One More, who makes some really good uh, earbuds and stuff as well, actually. Um, they come with really decent ANC, active noise cancellation. Um, and one of the things I really like most about these headphones is that when you've got the ANC on, you still get up to 50 or 60 hours of uh, playback, which if you think about how quickly the battery would run out on a set of earbuds if you were using ANC. Sometimes you get a maximum of eight hours tops and that's really going some. Yeah. Obviously the size difference means that proper headphones have bigger batteries. So it is to be expected. But the rating of, you know, 50, 60 hours is still really, really good. Yeah. Um adding to that it comes with some really good uh high res audio streaming. Uh you can use high res uh, Bluetooth codec. So if you've got a high-res um, audio service like uh, Cubuzz or uh, Tidal, it's the other one that most people use, then um, you can you can use that. Uh, and also if you've got your own, you know, high high quality audio on on a device that you can use. Uh, so these are really good. Oh, and the other thing is that they're really comfortable, like really oh, comfortable. Yeah, I've had them on. Uh, I'm using them right now, in fact. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're that good. I'm actually using them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they are, they're very, very comfortable and they are worth a go. So that's the one more Sonoflow uh, wireless active noise cancelling headphones. 
Um, the second thing I wanted to just recommend uh, was this game called Dungeons of Sundaria, which uh, I found lurking in my uh, Steam game list. And I was like, I don't remember purchasing this. So game. many of those. Yeah. And I was like, where's this come from? So I clicked and it says, because I bought a game many, many years ago called Kings and Heroes, which was hilariously... Um, poor quality <laughs> i think they stopped development of the original game and just started a new one right but then used quite a lot of the same uh, uh, assets from it um but it's hilariously good fun it's a hacking and slashing dungeon game it's a co-op game for four people and you run through dungeons and you, you know, you grind through mobs and you get to the big bosses. Uh, there's loads of loot. Um, there's all sorts of hilariously bad, janky animations. Uh, some terrible, terrible voice acting. Um, so all of these things add up to a game you maybe would think you wouldn't suggest. But if actually you want a bit of a laugh with some mates, uh, it's really, really good, good fun. So that's my second suggestion. Excellent. It's a bumper crop of recommendations in this week's really useful podcast. The links to those will be in the show notes, along with everything else that we've discussed this week. If you've found anything that you could uh, use in this week's podcast, uh, please let us know. Pass it on to people who would also make use of it. Oh, dear me. And uh, leave us a recommendation, subscribe, all that sort of thing in the usual places. We'll be back for another show next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Oh.